morning and welcome, friends and members, to this first Sunday after Christmas Day and the last Sunday of the year 2020. Settle your hearts and minds in for a time of worship. If you're following along with our order of service or if by now you've committed the chalice lighting to memory, you're welcome to join me in the recitation now. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. You're welcome to sing along at home our opening hymn, Who Can Say? reading for this morning is the eighth psalm, and the poet writes, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name and all the earth. Winter night, clear and bright. 
I thought I'd end 2020 with a warm story that might let you escape the cold, gray weather we've had up here in north-central Wisconsin these past couple weeks. It's not a new one, but the lesson, at least for me, is timeless. It's a story about the unique wisdom of children. When I observe my own child or my nieces and nephews, I notice that they live without concern for past or future. Instead, life for them is always what's right in front. Everything seems possible when I see the world from their points of view. So I invite you on the edge of the new year, likely eager to leave this one behind, to pause amidst life's busyness and meditate on life right in front of you. Your life's probably not perfect. Maybe it's been difficult lately. Whatever it is you're going through, try and imagine that the concerns of your heart are simpler, your mind less cluttered, your ego a little smaller, and journey with me to a summer long ago when I volunteered as a camp counselor. The outdoor camp is called MoVal, short for Missouri Valley. It's settled in a nature preserve owned by the United Church of Christ. It's located in the Mark Twain National Forest, a very beautiful region in southern Missouri, near where I grew up. As a counselor, I was a sum, or, or as a counselor rather, I was assigned, or some might even say I was sentenced, to counsel 11 boys between 9 and 11 years old. This wasn't a cushy gig, far from it. I had to sleep on a bunk bed made out of particle board in a cabin with no air conditioning in the middle of summer in Missouri, mind you, with 11 pubescent boys and all their various odors. Given that we were assigned to a cabin named Hickory, my campers and I were soon known as the Hickory Boys. For the next two weeks, we'd watch birds, shoot bows and arrows, build crafts, swim, hike, boat, eat, sleep, laugh, and cry together. Many of the camp's counselors grew up going to Missouri Valley in the summer. In fact, the camp's directors were a married couple that had met there back when they were kids. So as you can imagine, there was a heaping dose of sentimentality amongst many of my fellow adult counselors. They knew all the songs and secret hiding places. I envied this because the feeling I had as a new counselor was terror as the only company I had was a sweltering Missouri forest and a bunch of kids who needed help with everything from opening their toothpaste to plucking ticks. For two weeks, I'd be forced to dine exclusively on cafeteria food, sing dumb songs, and waste away in an internetless black hole. As we settled into sleep that first night, no less than six of my campers cried from separation anxiety. Many required medications for depression, anxiety, eczema, attention deficit disorder, and asthma. And for reasons I still can't understand, the camp's directors decided to give me an infamous camper who enjoyed fist-fighting his peers and pranking his counselor. Why me, oh God? I kept praying as I tried to fall asleep to the deafening sound of cicadas and frogs and flatulence. And so I prayed harder, God, never let me agree to nonsense like this again. But the truth is, the boys in my cabin were wonderful. 
After a rocky first day, by the second night, I sat in my bunk bed, partially in shock, as one by one, the boys came up to me asking if I thought their mothers and grandparents were okay. Many of them brought the routine of evening prayers to camp, and so I went from bunk to bunk, praying for their sisters, grandmothers, dogs, and so on, like I was their own personal dial of prayer. But mostly they wanted to pray that they'd get extra time at the swimming pool or shooting bows and arrows. For those of you that have never been to camp, let me prove once and for all that days go by very slowly, most likely because you wake up with the daylight and spend every minute of every day hiking or paddling to every activity. And so that first Monday morning, it kicked off with a leisurely eight-mile hike through the woods to a cabin outfitted as an artist's studio, which is really just a nice way of saying that it looked like an abandoned cabin in a horror movie. And so we were hot and thirsty after the hike, and we eagerly relished the shaded cabin and a chance to sit as we carelessly made dream catchers and candles. We spread out beads and strings and lit the burner to work the wax. And as I walked around, mainly to ensure the boys didn't catch themselves on fire or accidentally glue themselves to the table, I heard the boys saying things like, I'm going to give this one to my grandma. Another boy said, when school starts again, I'm going to give this one to my teacher. And another one said, I'm going to give this one to my friend's dad because his wife died of cancer. Nobody was making anything for themselves. Everything was meant for someone else, as if generosity was in the air we were breathing. But then came candle-making. If you've never made candles, let me spell it out. Rickety old camp stoves, dripping hot wax, fiery wicks, and rusty old coffee tins filled with water to cool the wax. And in case you've forgotten, by now in this case you add a dozen hyperactive 9 to 11-year-old boys in the middle of the hot Missouri woods, complete with spiders, ticks, mosquitoes, their tiny bladders the size of oranges, and an outhouse built sometime around the first settlers migrated westward. It probably had something to do with the danger, but the boys were thrilled about candle-making. So again, I'm walking around supervising the little da Vinci's when some slick camper leaned over to his buddy and said, Finally, we're making candles. I so needed to put candle making on my resume. There wasn't a moment without tears or laughter or both. Morning, noon, and night we ate, played, and talked, and we explored together. We'd have church with all the other campers every morning and gather again by fire each night. And it's not a real summer in Missouri without a tornado or three. So true to form, at one point I had to spend several harrowing hours in an outhouse bathroom stuffed to the brim with 35 campers and their counselors as a tornado touched down just west of camp. I sat along the wall as 35 kids, miles away from their moms and dads, treated me like a piece of Velcro, holding on for dear life as I lied to them about how scared I was. The boys fought back tears, and I did too. But none of them seemed at all worried about their own safety. Instead, they kept saying things like, I can't stop thinking about my brother. Another boy said, I sure hope Grandma's okay. 
A few of the older boys huddled together talking about how this tornado better not mess up spaghetti night, proving once and for all the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get spaghetti. The storm finally passed, and friends and siblings were reunited against a backdrop of a glimmering, windy forest. The subtle resiliency of childhood turned a menacing night into a cause for celebration. When you survive a tornado with adults, you count your blessings. When you survive a tornado with children, you dance and eat frozen grapes. Nothing skates past the attention of a child without acknowledgement. There's a lesson in there to be learned, I believe. The morning after the storm, we did lakeside yoga and giggled when the instructor told us to do downward-facing dog and happy baby pose. And each night, the Hickory boys would light a candle and gather by its light. We'd pass the small stick of flame from one to the other, listening as the boys gave thanks for the day. Unlike adults, they were open and honest about their fears and worries, and they delighted in subtleties so fine I'd have missed them without the mention. For our last night together, the counselors planned a party so all the campers could gather and celebrate our time at camp. We tidied up the tractors for hay rides and hauled out the goodies to make tie-dyed t-shirts. We decorated the community cabin with half-working Christmas lights and set out glow sticks and bracelets, pretzels and fruit juice, untuned guitars and half-broken tambourines. And the kids were thrilled to be with one another, the older ones visibly awkward to be around creatures of the opposite sex. By now, the friendship bracelets had been given, and by night, everyone had changed into their damp, tie-dyed shirts and their mud-soggy shoes. And in the midst of the revelry, a small boy, one-fourth of his quadruplet siblings, he tugged on my shirt and he whispered in my ear, I can't breathe. I knew immediately he was having an asthma attack in the middle of the forest, and so I radioed the camp's directors. Moments later, a voice cracked on my walkie-talkie, saying that the camper's parents had forgotten his inhaler. And so I stood there watching. The boy's parents lived hours away. They gave us some instructions and said to call 911 if the situation got any worse. His mom asked me to stay by his side and encourage him to breathe and relax. The boy seemed unfazed by the gravity of the situation. His chief concern was that he'd missed the party. And so the breathless boy and I sat together awaiting his parents' arrival. I can't believe I'm having an asthma attack, he said. Why, I asked him. It's not your fault. But it was no use. He was crying already. And just then, a knock at the door revealed his three siblings who walked in with bracelets and snacks. His sister cried as she draped a glow stick necklace over his head like he was being knighted by the queen. And after his siblings had a moment with their brother, the rest of the campers made their way into the cabin, one by one with more glow sticks and snacks. And by the time the camper's parents arrived, their son was sound asleep, 
and a sea of cookies and pretzels, softly aglow and glow stick green and purple and red, breathing without a wheeze. Before the evening was over, I walked back to the party and found the whole camp had gathered by the lake shore. Everyone was holding sky lanterns, trying not to catch themselves or the flammable paper on fire as they lit the wicks. And finally, after a few panicked moments, those lamps took flight, sailing up into the night and across the water. And there, below a sky reflected upward on the surface of the water, 150 children sang into the night as the lamps rose higher and blended into the starry sky. And not a word was spoken. And so just before heading back to our cabins for the final night, every camper met to pass the candle. And one by one, with their faces aglow, the girls and boys shared through tears how thankful they were. Thankful to go sailing and shoot arrows. Thankful to add candle-making to their resumes. But mostly they were thankful for each other. My task as a counselor was simple. Return the children to their parents relatively unharmed. I went expecting to be nothing more than a glorified babysitter, but I left converted by 150 tiny philosophers who teach through their curiosity and thankfulness that life is a gift, a gift best shared with others. And during that final morning together, I watched as parents and guardians arrived to pick up their children. As they did, the kids reached into their backpacks and pulled out dream catchers and candles, bracelets and glow sticks, each one a gift for someone else. And as I walked out of the forest to begin my journey back to the hustle and flow of my daily life, I found myself convinced that it is the child within that teaches tenderness and sincerity. I believe that is why the poet of the Eighth Psalm imagines that the greatest strength we have to face adversity is spoken out of the mouths of babes and infants. And so on the eve of the new year, my dear friends, I ask you this. Are you brave enough to live a little closer to the ground and let that child within speak? Can you live with your heart wide open? Will you let this new year be one of curiosity and giving? My prayer for all of you in 2021 is that you will be beacons of hope and promise for this, our sacred world. And so happy new year, you rowdy kids. If you would, please join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. Mysterious spirit of compassion, even as we celebrate the new birth of hope in our midst, we remember all those for whom hope is just a four-letter word. We pray for those who know the darkness of depression, for those who lie wakeful through the long hours of night, for those whose bodies or minds are gripped in pain. We pray for those who watch for mourning, for those who live in fear, for those whose bellies are never full. We pray for those who have too much, for those who have power over others, for those who do not think that they need anyone's prayers. And we pray for ourselves. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows present in our minds. 
and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. The missions and ministries of the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau is made possible by the generous support of our friends and members. We kindly accept anything that you are willing to offer, and you can swing by our website if you'd like to make a gift online, or you can mail a check or cash in an envelope with your name on it to the church office. I want to thank everybody for all your support that you've given over the course of 2020. It means a lot to me personally as the church's minister, and it means a lot to this community that we serve collectively. You're welcome to join now in singing our doxology. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks 
and all shadows flee away.